Welcome to CoreLogic REIP Market Insights with Tim Lawless and Sartan Smiles. This is where you will get the most up-to-date information on what is happening across the country in the property market. Our data is underpinned by CoreLogic. Tim Lawless is the leading expert on the real estate market. And REIP is a collective of real estate industry leaders committed to uniting and empowering the industry. Here is this month's Market Insights. Welcome to Market Insights. I'm your host, Sadna Smiles, and with me is Tim Lawless, who heads up RP Data CoreLogic research team. Tim, welcome. How are you? G'day, Sadna. Uh, I'm really well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, uh, on, the, on the show. So, Tim, only a few weeks to go till the end of 2020, and I think just about everyone is happy to see the end of this year. How are you feeling about it? Well, the end of the year is really picking up for the housing market, that's for sure. We're still seeing a lot of uncertainty out there around the pandemic, which I think will be uh, the underlining trends uh, through 2021, at least until there's a vaccine. But it looks like consumers and households are feeling much better about the circumstances now than, say, what they were back in, in the worst of it through March and April. And we are seeing that flowing through the housing markets now with values generally rising virtually everywhere. We're seeing more home sales and we're starting to see a little bit of urgency coming back into the marketplace as well mm. due to the fact that listing numbers remain really low at a time when when buyer numbers are starting to rise. Yeah. Now, you've just recently, a couple of days ago, released your November um, index. What were some of the most interesting emerging themes from this? So there's, there's a few themes that we're seeing across, across the market. I think uh, probably the one that's most, I guess, visible is the fact that we are seeing the regional markets so strong around Australia. In fact, we're seeing regional value growth more than double what we're seeing across the capital cities, uh, at least in trend terms. Um, I think a few things are driving that. Uh, for, for starters, there's the obvious one that uh, working from home is, has really allowed people to, to, to base themselves in more regional locations. But even before COVID, we were seeing this tree change and the sea change trend demographically. And I think COVID has really just amplified that and, uh, and maybe even brought some, some people's plans forward a little. But the other factors around that are also generally that uh, you know, regional markets are often much more affordable than their capital city counterparts. They often have lifestyle trends associated with them or lifestyle factors. And also with all the, the new transport infrastructure that um, has either recently, been, recently been, been completed or is underway or planned is really starting to open up many of the major regional centers and making things like commuting back into to where the jobs are um, a little bit more productive and, and efficient as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out next year. The other trend that I think is, uh, is worth talking about would be um, across the capital cities, we are seeing some very diverging trends. We're seeing uh, the smaller capitals really leading the capital gains at the moment. Markets like Darwin and Canberra, mm -hmm. for example, uh, in November, they were recording a, a monthly growth rate getting close to 2% month on month. So quite extraordinary rates of growth, particularly for Darwin, which has had a very weak um, history of, of, of capital gains or capital losses. In fact, values in Darwin are still nearly 30% lower than what they were back in 2014. So those smaller capital cities, they haven't had as much exposure to the virus for starters. So they, yes. they've done a better job of keeping a lid on, on the virus but also they tend to be more affordable. 
Um, they're benefiting from a stronger demographic trend in the sense that they're not as exposed to the demand shock from stalled overseas migration as well. What do you think about, I mean, these are some of the trends that we're seeing and talking about the country areas, I mean, my partner and I, we live in Melbourne and we've been searching for country Victoria for a place to escape to at least three days a week for that very reason, you know, we know that we can work remotely. Um, we don't need to be in the city areas. And, and what, what are your thoughts on, you know, there's predictions that everyone's going to migrate to Queensland because they've handled the virus better than anybody else has done across the country. And it seems like that that is the go-to place at the moment. Well, even before COVID, Queensland was showing the strongest interstate migration trend and it's taken over from Victoria in that sense. Um, uh, yeah, generally, when you look at interstate migration or migration flows, they generally align with the economic prosperity of a region as well. You know, it's one thing to go to an area that's, that's really nice to live in. It might have a really nice lifestyle or a climate, but you need to have a job generally, unless you're a retiree or you're looking for a holiday home. So that's the most important thing here is that you know, if people are flocking into Queensland, it's really important that they do have gainful employment. Otherwise, this will probably a fairly, be a fairly short-lived trend. Yeah. But I think when you look at Queensland's economy, it, it is benefiting from improvements in the mining sector, particularly coal. Um, it's benefiting from a lot more um, uh, domestic tourism now, particularly that uh, since the, the borders reopened on December 1st. Um, so, and you can look at the jobs numbers as well, they're starting to tighten up. So I think we will see particularly Southeast Queensland benefiting from that interstate migration flow, as well as the, the fact that you mentioned that more people can probably base themselves remotely. Mm. Um, I think in, in, in that sense, people will be looking for those regional markets where they can still get back into the major centers if they really need to. So yeah. it's one thing, you know, looking looking regionally, but say if you're basing yourselves in, in a far-flung regional market where getting in and out is much harder or your commuting time into the major working centers is going to be unproductive, then that's going to be a little bit um, uh, a little bit of a liability. Mm -hmm. So I think most people will be looking around those regional markets that offer up the best of both worlds. Yeah. Um, opportunity to commute back into the major centers if you really need to, or a few days a week, as well as having the lifestyle benefits and mm -hmm. the more affordable housing options. And I imagine this flurry of buying sight unseen, which we have seen in, in the real estate market more recently, will peter out as, as people settle down into the new year and be able to travel more freely. And as you say, you know, if there's jobs up there, we'll do that. But that whole concept of there was this huge flurry, buy it, move, get out of, you know, particularly Melbourne, we saw that. I think that will that will peter out at, at some point. You'd have to expect that's going to be mm. less of a trend going forward. But say, say compare back to 10 years ago when we simply didn't have the technologies that enables people to buy remotely. I think this will still be something that, um, that the industry needs to, to, to work with in the fact that you can inspect a property remotely now. You can have local um, uh, buyers, agents to be working on your behalf to inspect a property, building yes. and test inspections, uh, remote inspections, virtual tours, all that sort of stuff really do enable a, a remote purchasing environment. I think as humans, we still, yeah, and it's such a high commitment decision purchasing a home, most people are still gonna wanna you know, inspect the property physically, kick the tires, as you say, yeah. and. Uh, um, I think that that'll always is going to be the case for the vast majority of people. Yeah. So let's talk about Melbourne. Melbourne was the last cab off the rank to move back into recovery mode. We've done 120 days in lockdown, which was, you know, interesting. What was the impact of the whole COVID um, experience on the Victorian housing market? 
Well, of course, Melbourne, as you say, um, Sardna was going through two lockdowns. So everywhere around the country went through that first lockdown and we saw the market virtually move into hibernation and Melbourne doubled down on that. In fact, the second round of lockdowns, we saw transactional activity fell even further than through the first phase. Uh, we, at one stage there, we only saw 11 auctions held um, mm. during, during the middle of that lockdown period. Normally about that time of the year, around, around the, the middle of September, we'd be seeing upwards of say seven, uh, seven or 800 auctions being held. So it's a real, it's a real, I guess, um, case in point that the market virtually went into hibernation. We did see housing values falling further because of all the uncertainty around how long this is going to last, um, and that uncertainty actually spread much broadly, uh, more broadly than just Melbourne. It was more of a national phenomenon as other areas around the country started to wonder: uh, Are we are we going to be next? Are we going to see another um, uh, outbreak of the virus in our own communities? Mm -hmm. But then, as we saw restrictions lifted uh, around the 28th of September, it was almost like somebody had flipped a switch in Melbourne, and we started to see agents again becoming extremely active across our data platforms. That, of course, led very quickly into a surge in new listings coming on the market as a lot of vendors that pent up demands just simply uh, started to show up in, in a, a, a flurry of, of new stock or fresh listing numbers coming in the market. We started to see buyers becoming more active as confidence lifted. And by the end of November, we've pretty much seen the market normalize. In fact, we've, we've now seen the rate of capital gain in Melbourne's moved back into positive territory and even outperformed Sydney through the month of November uh, as it made up for lost time. Uh, we are seeing listing numbers roughly in line with where they were a year ago now. So it looks like that second lockdown is very much a thing of the past now. No doubt, it's still a risk that if we do see another virus outbreak, something similar is going to happen. So it's probably the, the, the best advice is for everybody to be doing the right thing and making sure that we don't see another outbreak yeah. of uh, of, the nasty, of this nasty virus. Yeah, good advice. And I think also, particularly for Melbourne, we'll probably see a fairly busy December, January. You know, normally it t tends to quieten down. I, I get the feeling that we'll continue to see those um, larger numbers uh, still playing out in the marketplace. Yeah, we're still seeing the number of new listings coming in the marketplace across Melbourne still relatively high. Uh, normally by this time of the year, you do start to see the start of that slowdown of new listings coming on the market. I agree, we probably will see that extended. But of course, as we get closer to Christmas and then moving through the new year period, I think we'll still go through that, that seasonal uh, um, festive season slump where there is very little activity in the market, mm. simply because you know, for a property transaction, you need the buyer, you need the seller, you need the agent, you need the conveyancer, you need the bank. All of those parties, at least one of them is going to be uh, out of action at that stage. So, but I think that that, that festive period um, uh, slowdown will probably be, as you say, Sedana, a lot shorter than shorter. what we so the economy is still facing some headwinds, particularly around the fiscal support with mortgage uh, repayment holidays about to expire. How are these factors likely to play out against the housing market conditions next year? These were the two major headwinds that uh, a lot of commentators were referring to when, when they thought housing prices might fall a, great more, a, great, a lot more than what they currently have. The fact that uh, fiscal support will wind down, they call this the fiscal cliff. Which, which became more of a fiscal hill as we started to see JobKeeper being extended and so forth. We've already moved through the first phase of JobKeeper being wound down. That started to happen in, in, at the end of September. 
And the October labor force numbers were actually surprisingly strong. We saw more than 100,000 jobs being created across the country. We saw unemployment just tick a little bit higher, but that was mostly due to more people participating in the marketplace or in the labor force rather than any real um, fall in, in uh, um, the number of jobs. So it's looking like the, the risks around fiscal support winding down are very much diminished. And same with the mortgage deferral holidays. Back in June, about 11% of home loans were being deferred. By the end of October, that have reduced down to a little bit less than 4%. So we are seeing, um, particularly through September and October, a fairly rapid amount of a large number of borrowers have moved back into at least some form of a repayment schedule. And that's made it, it's been made a lot easier by the fact that rates have come down so far. And, uh, and we've also seen this improvement in economic conditions and labor market conditions, which have enabled people to get back into their repayment schedules probably sooner than, than what uh, many would have expected yeah. and more than what would have been expected uh, back in, say, April or May as well. Yeah, which is which is all good news from, from an economic perspective. Now, interestingly, the RBA in December didn't reduce or didn't change their interest rates. And um, they've made a comment that they don't expect to do that for a number of years. And they're certainly increasing them for a number of years. Do you see them taking the rates even lower? I'd be really surprised if if uh, if that happened. The RBA itself has acknowledged that they, they they certainly have a preference for keeping rates at their current low levels, you know, um, uh, ten basis points, record lows. And as you say, Sadana, they've been very clear that interest rates won't rise until inflation gets back within the target range of two to three percent, and there's there's significant progress made towards full employment as well. That's going to take a long time and, and chances are we'll see the cash rate holding around these record lows until at least 2023. Mm. So that gives buyers a lot of certainty that their borrowing rates are going to remain extremely low for an extended period of time. And of course, existing borrowers or existing homeowners are madly refinancing as well, taking advantage of super low fixed rates now. And I think this will be a, a feature of the market going through 2021 is that more people will be moving off their variable rate mortgages or refinancing their fixed rate mortgages to take advantage of, you know, sometimes you can see these three-year fixed rates are getting down below 2%. Yeah. So uh, um, absolutely, there's some uh, a lot of competition in the lending sphere, and we will see borrowers looking to, to take advantage of the best rates and mm -hmm. the best, best loan products that are available. Yeah, and, and if, if any of our listeners haven't actually spoken to their mortgage broker about any of their lending, they really need to do so because, um, as you say, these fixed rates being so low is, is only but a benefit to us. Um, I, I'm interested to hear about your opinion on the stamp duty. Now, there's been a bit of conversation recently across two states being New South Wales and Victoria, and, um, you know, they've made some ch short-term changes to the stamp duty um, issue in both markets. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it'll have an impact on the economy? And two parts to this question, should we really be looking or should governments be really looking at the stamp duty uh, reduction or changes long-term rather than this, this short-term aggressive play that they've had? Yeah, so, I mean, to, just to, to, to start my answer, we, we, I think everybody acknowledges governments, ec economists, commentators, have all acknowledged that stamp duty is one of the most inefficient taxes around and state governments have become quite addicted to the revenue flows coming through from stamp duty. Uh, but the, the simple truth is that such a large upfront transactional cost is inefficient because it's, uh, it's a major disincentive for people participating in the housing market. 
So I think the fact that we have seen, uh, well, Victoria is now offering up a 50% discount on stamp duty through to the end of the financial year. New South Wales has, has undertaken a more substantial reform, I would say, uh, um, looking to uh, give buyers the option to spread their stamp duty out over an annual property tax or pay their stamp duty up front and still offering up first home buyers um, a pretty decent incentive um, in the form of a grant to, to help them um, overcome those stamp duty uh, expenses. So long story short, I think those changes in the stamp duty will see turnover rising. Uh, you know, the, the two biggest obstacles to transact in the market are saving up for your deposit, which, which can take upwards of five or seven years, depending if you're a first home buyer, depending on where you are and what your incomes are like. Um, the second one is stamp duty payments, which in, in some states can be upwards of $30,000 for a first home buyer. So if, if you're not facing that massive upfront cost, then it's going to make it a lot easier to get into the marketplace. Um, it also incentivizes, say, more mature homeowners who are looking to downsize where they don't have that upfront cost on repurchasing uh, around stamp duty as well. So, yeah, I think it will see um, uh, an improvement in turnover rates and hopefully other states start to uh, take notice and implement uh, their own reforms to stamp duty as well. Yeah. Because uh, we all know that, uh, you know, buying a home is really important for everybody. And if you can reduce those transactional costs or spread them out over a long period of time, then it's going to make it much easier to participate in the housing market. Mm. What are your thoughts in what will happen in the rental market? We talk a lot about sales, but what are your thoughts will happen in the rental market? Well, rental markets at the moment are, are really diverging uh, based on the geography or where, where, where the rental properties are at or the, the product types. So geographically, at one end of the spectrum, we're seeing markets like Perth and Darwin recording extremely strong rental conditions due to very tight rental markets, there hasn't been a great deal of new rental stock being added to those markets over the past five or six years because investor levels have been so low and new construction activity has been winding down. Whereas if you get into Sydney and Melbourne, the inner city apartment markets are at the other end of the spectrum where we're seeing very sharp falls in high rise apartment rents, mostly due to both the combination of a supply shock and a demand shock. The supply shock comes from uh, this recent history of a huge amount of new high rise apartments being built and still moving that through that construction pipeline. There's still around 90 odd thousand apartments being built across New South Wales and Victoria that are yet to be uh, settled. And then on the demand shock, we've got the fact that overseas migration has simply stopped at the moment. And most of that overseas migration uh, would be visitors who flow into the rental, a situation where there's a lot of rental properties, particularly high rise apartments, not much demand happening at the moment either. So. I think we'll continue to see that trend through 2021 where inner city apartment rents remain pretty soft um, falling, which will impact on investor demand in those areas. Whereas in the detached housing sector, much stronger. And those markets where we haven't seen a recent history of a lot of investment activity and migration trends are improving, they're gonna be the tightest rental markets and we'll probably see investors looking towards those markets for the better yields and probably capital gain prospects as well. So a bit of um, crystal balling for me, Tim. What do you see happening in or playing out in the market in the first quarter of 2021? So next year, uh, there's, there's a few things going to happen early in the year. We'll see JobKeeper wind back again in, in January. Uh, in March, we'll see the, repay, the mortgage repayment deferral uh, holidays expire as well. And as I mentioned a bit earlier, both of those factors are becoming much less of a risk now than, than what we originally thought, say, back in, in March or April or May last year. 
sorry, this year. Um, so I think uh, we will continue to see some momentum gathering in housing markets. We've already talked about the fact that interest rates are going to stay very low, and that, that's going to be a compelling reason to, to be getting into the marketplace. This urgency is building amongst buyers. So I think we will see auction clearance rates remaining high, average selling time probably reducing even further, vendor discounting rates falling further. So very much a seller's market in most mm -hmm. areas. One thing we need to be a little bit mindful of, though, is going to be the lending environment. Um, even though credit flows are, are very strong for, for new housing credit flows, I think policymakers and governments will be very watchful for any sort of rise in what they might describe as, uh, as more uh, riskier types of lending. So at the moment, interest-only loans, for example, are only about 18% of new loan originations. That They're very low. Um, high loan-to-valuation ratio lending is also, also very low. So is um, high debt-to-income ratio lending. Any signs of those sort of indicators starting to pick up, that could be the trigger for APRA coming in once again with some macroprudential policies aimed at uh, ensuring that prudent uh, lending standards are being adhered to, but also helping to minimize any sort of impact on household debt levels. You know, household debt is still very high in Australia. And if we do start to see debt levels rising, that's still manageable at a time when interest rates are really low. But if rates, when rates eventually do start to rise, that does leave the household sector a little bit exposed, which could then impact on consumption, which is the biggest part of our economy here. So that's probably one thing to watch out for is any signs of rising household debt or slipping in lending standards could trigger some sort of a regulatory response. But I think overall 2021 is gonna be a very strong year for Australian housing markets, mostly driven by the fact that rates are gonna stay very low. Well, Tim, thank you for your insight. I look forward to joining you again next year when we bring our monthly updates to you on the market and then a quarterly more in-depth insights into what is happening. Enjoy your Christmas break. Um, I don't know whether you're connecting with family or, or not, but I think around the country, there's a lot of people with borders opening up, very excited about reconnecting with, um, with family and friends. So thank you for your time. Thanks, Sadna. I'll certainly be enjoying my break and uh, I hope you get a decent break as well and uh, you find that, um, that regional property that you're looking for. Yeah, well, I'll let you know next year. Thank you for joining us and we will see you all in uh, 2021. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date, please subscribe to our channels and feel free to share this update with your tribe. Until next time, stay safe and stay connected.